0: get my new memoir bookends a memoir of love loss and literature wherever books are sold starting july 1st and my children's book princess charming you can learn more about me at zimbyowens.com but really you're here to learn more about the authors and that is what we're going to do also be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the zcast podcast network you can learn more at zcastnetwork.com and definitely check out those shows as well Jane L. Rosen is the author of A Shoe Story. She is an author, screenwriter, and Huffington Post contributor. She lives in New York City and Fire Island with her husband and three daughters. She often takes inspiration from the city she lives in and the people she shares it with. In addition to her writing, she spent time in film, television, and event production and is the co founder of It's All Gravy, LLC. Her last book, Eliza Starts a Rumor, was also featured on this podcast. Welcome, Jane. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books again to
1: discuss a shoe story, a novel. Thank you so much for having me on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books again. (laughs) I was sort of saving
0: this to savor and it did not disappoint. So thank you for this really immersive read. Tell listeners about how you came up with this particular idea and also what it's about.
1: A shoe story is about a girl named Esme Nash. who's graduating Dartmouth with big plans to move to New York City with her boyfriend and work at this fantastic art gallery. And everything gets turned upside down. And seven years later, she gets the chance to try it out again. And it's basically a story of second chances and old loves and new loves and just life, grabbing life, not letting life go by you, no matter what's thrown at you not, you know, just accepting the decisions that you maybe you made once aren't the right ones for later on. And that is never too late. So that's what it's about. I thought of it in a much different way. It was, was actually a book that I already worked on finished. And it had like an Esme Nash was still there, but it was involved in a psychiatrist and all these other things and it didn't sell. And then I put it in a drawer and then I realized it starts a rumor and then I took it out again and revamped it. Huh. Uh,
0: that's the story of Esme Nash. Wow. Esme goes through this horrific, you know, emotional tragedy in the beginning. And then not only do her parents get in this awful, beyond awful accident, but she has to deal with her father being paralyzed and being his primary caretaker and the effects of that. How did you tap into that piece of the puzzle and like how something so traumatic would then affect the rest of life? You have Esme deciding that she barely knows who she is anymore. So she might as well just, you know, answer an ad and go to the city and dog sit and like try to make a whole new life for herself. Why not? And at the advice of someone from the memorial service, which I found very interesting also, was that always, I mean, I just feel like it's so complicated, that type of extreme loss and, care, and the depletion after all that caretaking. Just talk a little bit about that and and her decision to up and try something new right then.
1: Yeah, when I was Esme's age, like right in college, my sister was very ill, and she lived in Maryland, where I'd gone to school. I was very much thought like I'm just going to drop my job, drop my boyfriend, drop everything, just go back and to Maryland and help her, and uproot my life like that. And I think like when you're in a situation where your family needs help, you often just you throw your life aside very easily. But for Esme, it was seven years and. I mean, how do you start back after that? So her choice to go do this like on a whim kind of thing and go live somewhere for a month, I thought was was like a clear choice for her because if she wasn't gonna do it that way, she was gonna have to pick up, decide, get a job, get an apartment. This was like a great opportunity to fell in her lap. And I mean, I think she was smart to take the opportunity. And I mean, did that answer the question? Sure, <laughs> so, yeah, that answered the question, yes. But, yeah, it was a great, you know, gig for her. And I think when you're in that really fragile state, and you don't know what's up and what's down. You could do something like that because maybe you just want to escape a little and just do something for yourself. I mean, after all those years, of taking care of someone else.
0: I loved how you have her end up in an apartment of such a shoe lover. This is like beyond Carrie Bradshaw that the kitchen <laughs> pantry becomes the shoe closet. That's pretty genius. Have you
1: actually seen that before? Or was it wasn't, just- I have seen that. I, and I saw like, if you Google like shoe pantry, it's like actually a thing that some people do. Oh my gosh. I mean, people are obsessed with their shoes. They, they put them out like pieces of art. And for someone like the woman who owns the shoe closet, who doesn't really have that much else going on, I, it makes sense to me that like, She had control over these shoes and she spent her money on these shoes. And it seemed like one of the only things she had a real, you know, lock on in our life was her shoes. So and and even like with Esme wearing them, at first they were, you know, the publisher was like, you can't do that. It makes her unlikable that she's wearing shoes. But then we came up with the fact that there was a little misunderstanding and she thought she had permission to wear them.
0: Tell me a shoe story
1: from your own life. (laughs) Well, let me just tell you that last week I went to Nordstrom with, because we're having the the book opening there. And I went with this great young girl named Katie Bilotti and she helped me film a video and they took out all the shoes from a shoe story. And she was the same size as me. I'm an eight, she's an eight. And we tried them on and it was like quite unbelievable to try on that many pair of gorgeous shoes that are all over a thousand dollars. Like they're beautiful. I mean, one was more beautiful than the next. So that was a kind of great shoe story that we just, I just experienced. And for this kid, she was like, you know, she never tried on anything like this and just one after the next. But for me, my best shoe story, I wrote the back of the paperback from behind the book. I was going to an interview, not an interview. I was going to talk to an editor at Little Brown. It was a long time ago before I was a screenwriter. And I was wearing those Lambin shoes that are like, they're kind of tight around the around the instep. And I'm in the cab and I'm nervous. it. When I get in the cab and I'm nervous, I just talk to the cab driver like it's my best friend. So I'm talking, I'm talking, I don't shut up. I don't shut up. And I'm telling him I'm going to the Little brand. I say it's an interview because it was more understandable than explaining the whole, you know, what was really going on. And he goes, as long as you're not wearing those red bottom shoes, and he was like from Senegal. I'm like, you know about the red bottom shoes? Like everybody in New York City knows about the red bottom shoes. And I said, why should I be wearing them? And he said, you won't be hungry enough if they see you in those red bottom shoes. So I was thankful that my shoes were, although fancy, not red bottom. Very funny.
0: So Yeah. Are you like a massive, like what are you, what shoes are you wearing now?
1: What shoe, what are you a massive shoe person? I'm barefoot. Okay. I'm not a new person. It used to be when I, first moved into the city i think when i first had children and first lived on the upper east side where all of a sudden the status kind of came from your shoes in a way shoes and bags all of a sudden i found myself going and buying like one good pair of you know red bottom shoes and one pair of gucci loafers you know a little selection and i was more i was into it then. but the truth is after covid my feet its very hard to wear heels I still love a great pair of shoes, but it's much harder, I think, now for me to wear heels. Maybe it's my age, maybe it's too many years of wearing them. I don't know. But I love a good pair of like loafers, sandals, flats, and I actually I love my Birkenstocks. I have like so many pairs and blue suede and brown suede, and I love them. Do you like shoes?
0: No, not a shoe person. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, not really. I like to be comfortable. I don't know.
1: Great. Right. Yeah.
0: Maybe I I just don't have good enough taste or something. I don't know. (laughs) They're all just so uncomfortable. But let's talk about dogs too. So going to the dog run is like another one of Esme's things as a dog sitter. And she befriends an elderly gentleman who's basically like Eli Zabar, who essentially or
1: something like that. actually. What? He's actually based on Saul Zabar. It's actually how I really got the idea for the book. Oh. Now that I think of it, I was on Saul Zabar as my neighbor in Fire Island. So I'm sorry I interrupted you. He was on the ferry with me going to Fire Island. He's 92, I think now. It was a couple of years ago, and he starts talking and chatting, chatting and chatting and chatting, like really chatting, like really into talking to me. I said, "You're so chatty today." And he said, "I don't have any friends. All my friends are dead." (laughs) I was like, "What?" He's like, "I was thinking of going to a psychiatrist because all my friends are dead and I have no one to talk to." So I was like, "That was it." I was like, "There's my book." Like. This old guy goes to a psychiatrist. I don't know how I figured out the whole thing. But anyway, Esme befriended the old guy in the old book too. And it was just this whole thing for him to have someone to talk to, which yeah. is basically how I came up with it. But aside from that little Saul Zabar connection, a lot of size story is based on my dad and my mom. So like the whole meet, their whole meet cute. That was how my parents met. No way. Like, yep. Exactly. And obviously my parents got married. So it was a different, you know, I switched the story around. But the whole time that Cy is in World War II in this book is exactly my father's journey in World War II. It's taken from like his Coast Guard boat number. I tracked everywhere it went. I found like old letters that he sent to his mom, you know, all redacted and everything. And some of the words are exactly from that Wow. From his le- So that was great because my, my dad died when I was 11. So to be able to spend this time with him and go through his journey in the war, which of course he never spoke about to me for sure, but probably hardly ever to anyone because people don't talk about that. That was a really great experience for me.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. So I loved size part of the book. I loved that. And that is exactly from the other book. So that did not really change at all.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Well, I love that piece of it. Really interesting. I know. I was like, where did she come up with that? And
1: Mm -hmm. it was great.
0: Even just the notion as we all get older that like, who's to say you're ready to retire when you're 90? Like what makes you think you want to stop? And he's like, I'm going to live out my
1: non-compete and wait and start my next business. That was awesome. (laughs) Well, it's true, right? (laughs) I mean, imagine if like all of a sudden you're like, oh, I can't go into the store every day, which is what I've been doing for my entire life. It's crazy. Yeah, that's why you hear that's, about. I feel yeah. like you hear about people literally like dying when they have nothing. I mean, your whole life's purpose is gone. It's true. That's what they say. If you don't like the third thing on staying alive to a hundred or something, is to keep working. All right. Yeah. Well, I think we're both on a good track then. I I cannot. <laughs> I hope I never have to. <laughs> oh, we'll see. Buying those books, please. <laughs>
0: dot com slash moms don't have time do you have another book like in the
1: hopper for the next release already i do i already turned it in you already turned it in oh my gosh my dog has dementia and she's walking around in circles and i feel like it's gonna be on your podcast The little tap 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 no i can't hear anything (laughs) yes my next book is called on fire island and it's coming out next may or june and i'm very excited about it so cool also, something I was working on for a long time. I wrote it as a screenplay, and it was actually at Weinstein when they folded. Wait, so did that, I see an early cover of this, or am I losing my mind? There's a new a book came out this year called Fire Island, which is so funny. Maybe that's what you're talking about. I, I show lose. you. Oh no, you're right. I showed you. You a did photograph right. That I wanted to use. Yes. Cover. Okay. Yes, I found this photograph for this great photographer out there. I was like, wow, this is perfect, but we'll see, you know, it's far off, but it really has my heart and soul that book. Do you feel like you
0: are less nervous with subsequent book releases? Like, does it get easier each time you release a book or does it not, or does it get
1: harder? I think it gets harder. I'll tell you why. The first time you have no idea what's going on, I mean, I had no idea what was going on. Who expected anyone to read the book besides my family? You know what I mean? Like, you just didn't know. I didn't know that all these reviews would come out. I didn't know that you could like even go on Amazon, look up your book and some woman in like Albuquerque would say something horrible about it (laughs) and you'd get it stuck in your head. And that's all you would think, even though every big reviewer already liked it, you'd think it's total crap because Sue from Albuquerque says it's total crap. So I think the more, you know, the harder it kind of gets. Do you know what I mean by that? Yep. Now I know too much. I know to be able to look on my Amazon rankings. I didn't even know that until the second half of Eliza starts a rumor. I didn't know there was a little number that told you how your books were selling. There's just so many things that you learn. I hate that, that too. Do you in.
0: <laughs> I hate that other people can see it. Do you know what I mean? It's so public. And then like your book scan oh. numbers, they have, I didn't know about that either, that there was like, you know, that any other publisher can can just click over and check out how many book sales. Like it, it's almost, it feels like, it, so it looks, like literally like someone's like coming into my private closet, and like poking <laughs> their head around and like being like, what's in here? What do we know? What do we see?
1: <laughs> so but I think that the reviewing of the, like, I think that people like the review of Vacuum some people write amazing reviews, but some people review a book, like literally the way you've reviewed a vacuum, you know, like yeah. the, the cover was ripped zero stars. <laughs> like, yeah. Wait, hold on. <laughs> I'll send you another one personally. <laughs> this family yeah. friend
0: was like, I loved it. I loved it so much. And then she gave it four stars. I was like,
1: <gasps> I was like, what? <laughs> I don't even know. I was
0: like, all right, whatever.
1: It is so funny. I
0: know. I'm just like,
1: yeah. I think that some people think like, I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know. But someone from Eliza starts a rumor, which the reviews were excellent. But this one woman wrote, oof. That's what she wrote, oof, with an exclamation point. And if I tell you, 100 million good reviews could come by. And all I could ever think was oof I mean that's just part of my own problem
0: you know no it's not just your problem I'm like who is the person out there who's like I'm gonna take the time to leave a review that says meh
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm like just don't write me that review like (laughs) like what is I think is meh worse than oof I think oof is worse than meh really m-e-h period yes meh (laughs) is like meh oof
0: is like Oh, like off. I don't know. Oof could be like, what a great book. Oof. No. I read it in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Oof. I don't know. I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oof. I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> oh my it's gosh. no good. There you must be some no funny article about like terrible book reviews. Isn't there, isn't there some, something? Anyway. Okay. So for people who are starting out writing, when you get an idea for a story, what do you do first?
1: I try and make a quick note of it on my phone under something like a category, like words or book titles, which is like, and just because you think you're gonna remember things and you just don't. And then if I'm really writing the book, like I'm really dead set on this idea, I spend a ton of days and nights and subway rides and whatever I'm doing, just like ruminating and thinking about these characters and the story and the people. And I really think so much before I even put, you know, pen to paper, not really, fingers to keyboard. And then I start writing a little bit. So seeing how it flows, how the voice goes. And then I usually make an outline. I make an outline on index cards, like one for every chapter. And I make the whole outline, start to finish, and then I never look at it again. (laughs) I just need to know, like, that it's there. It's bizarre. But I literally, I've done it for every book and I've never looked at them again. Wow, and that's what I do.
0: Huh. It's kind of like I interviewed not- someone recently—not Jane Eyre, some Amanda Eyre Ward who wrote *The Jet Setters* and *The Lifeguards* or and whatever—and she writes all the upcoming scenes she's going to write on a little note card, so that if she goes to the library or something, she just brings
1: like the two scenes or the four scenes that she's going to work on. Oh, I thought that was kind of interesting. That's very interesting. I mean, I do you ever? Write, I write on my phone sometimes. Like, I don't always write linearly. But now, like. I used to very much be like that. But then lately I've just been like writing what I feel. I read about someone, I don't remember who it was, who said that they wrote this right? I was so amazed. And I tried it a bit with Fire Island book and it was really kind of great because you're sometimes like in the mood for one thing or in the mood for another thing. And I could even just write it on the notes of my phone sometimes if that's like when it's flowing, you yeah. know? Yeah. Huh. And sometimes I write like much better in its, in its tremendous noise. Like I was stuck with Eliza starts a rumor on something that my editor wanted me to change. And I was really stuck on it and I couldn't figure it out. And I was getting my hair blown out. So there's the blow dryer at one of those places where there was like rap music playing and they had romantic comedies on the screen in front of you. So think about all that noise. And I figured out the whole thing. Like it was sometimes that major noise makes you... Think better than quiet. You could just, I don't know, pull it out of
0: a hat. I have an idea that could be cool. You should try to do a contest where people write a personal essay, their own shoe story. You know? That's a great idea. Write a shoe story. And if you want, I could even do it on you. I mean, you could do it with, I mean, you have multiple platforms that you
1: could do this. No, I love your platform. It's my favorite. Um, Do you have a shoe story?
0: Well, I could do like a contest, on moms don't have time to our new site, and say we're doing a little contest. Write your shoe story, and we'll put the best one up here.
1: And more than that, <laughs> yeah, I've been working with so many shoe designers. Ooh, so maybe we could get some really cool shoe prize. Ooh, yes, yeah, new pair like, of shoes. Yeah, definitely. Like so, when this, when we named it a shoe story, I just put my marketing hat on and. I've been talking like Louboutin's doing something for me in August. Louboutin, I learned how to say, (laughs) in the Hamptons. And Ferragamo is doing something in the fall at two of their stores. And Nine West has been like a tremendous partner. Wow. Yeah, they're doing all kinds of stuff. If you order the book, well, this is coming out afterwards, but before, you know, pre-ordering it, you got 15% off Nine West. And they sent me some shoes. And Nordstrom is making the big... Book release. Amazing. So the shoe angle ended up being very fun yeah to work with.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, we'll do that. We'll do like get your essay published and win a pair of yes. amazing shoes. I love that. From a designer, hopefully. Okay, well, we'll talk after, but awesome. Okay, Harding advice to aspiring authors? Don't
1: give up. Keep writing, keep writing, keep writing. And when you get rejected, because you will get rejected put it in the draw and start something else. If you don't give up, you will be successful. If you give up, there's no way you'll be successful. So don't give up. Very true.
0: Awesome. Well, Jane, I am so excited for our event together. August 14th. 12th. 12th? 12th. August 12th, at Fridays at 5 at the Bridgehampton Library. So for people listening, please come hear more of us chit-chatting and maybe we'll bring some new shoe stories to discuss.
1: I mean, well, I'm going to
0: ask Zippy questions too. So it's going to be very fun. Not very fun. Okay. All right. Thank you, Jane. Thank you. Good, luck. Good luck tomorrow. Thanks. Thank you. Bye Thank bye. you. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.